1: of the two people who think that it said Loving Hillsong and have decided to give us a listen. Welcome back. We are Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya and I am so excited that you are here today joining in this conversation because I am so excited about this interview. I'll tell you what happened. There was an article that came out a couple of weeks ago by the Trinity foundation and they are an organisation based in Texas that has been monitoring religious fraud for over 30 years. This article was on the shaky legal structure of Hillsong's board and we had just been talking about all of the board games and it was the title of an earlier pod here. We're looking very closely at the board. So I decided to call Texas and I did and Pete from Trinity picked up the phone after hours. It was amazing. I've been following Trinity's work since I started writing, and if you haven't heard of them, it's because they're not the showy types, but their work is amazing, and they look at international religious fraud. Just incredible. So I was hoping to get a couple of comments about that article and I ended up talking to the author Barry Bowen for a couple of hours and wow, you guys, I don't even know where to begin. I just know that you're going to love this bird's eye picture of how these networks work, how they're all involved with each other and how this whole Hillsong thing came to be and how similar they are to different televangelists and and how you know what differences there are so your is going to drop a number of times it'll be interesting to see where and how and what hits who uh yeah this interview's split into three parts because even listening to the edit again today I was like oh yeah okay yeah that wow Barry has a journalist background, he's been investigating for 15 years and he now works full-time for Trinity in Texas. This was an absolute privilege and delight, this conversation and I'm just so grateful to Barry. So, good Friday to you if you're listening on Easter or the for Passover. I hope you enjoy the, the money trail. Yay. Yay. Barry, please go ahead.
0: Okay. My name is Barry Bowen. I live in the United States. I started investigating televangelists and religious fraud over 15 years ago. One night I was flipping to the TV channels and I saw this televangelist named Mike Murdoch on the air and he Uh. was begging for money. And he told his viewers to call in and donate using their credit cards and God would erase their credit card debt. Those words, I got so upset and I decided I'm going to take you down. So that was sort of like the beginning of my investigating of televangelists. Oh, cool. What happened? Well, he is still exists. He's still taking donations. He's not as popular as he was 20 years ago. He's an older man. And he's not on as many cable channels. Uh There are bigger fish to fry now. There are bigger televangelists doing far more damage than he did. So I'm focusing on them.
1: Yeah. I mean, tell me, please, overall, we know there's a lot of damage, but like what continues to motivate you when you say damage? What do you see? What do you hear?
0: What I'm going to say will shock a lot of people. And I cannot go into specifics there is a significant number of unusual deaths surrounding televangelists. I'm convinced there are a number of murders. Yep. That's what we're dealing with.
1: Okay, and the powerful people. I.
0: Yes, yes, there's a lot of money to be made ripping off people in the name of God. Some of the televangelists I investigate, they remind me of the mafia. Yes. <laughs> In the European Union, they have this definition for organized crime. And there are, I forget, I want to say maybe 12 characteristics. There's two mandatory. And if you meet four other on the list, then you're considered organized crime. Well, one of the things is it has to involve more than one person. If it's just one person, it's not organized crime. Uh But um, when you read through that list, it's like they check off all these boxes. Look it up as we speak.
1: And then you'll have to elaborate a little bit on the murder thing. Well,
0: in the United States, there is a prosperity gospel preacher based in Indiana, a guy named Steve Muncie. He would go on a number of these TV channels and, and beg for money. Really good at fundraising. But uh, his babysitter, died in a swimming pool and when you read the news accounts there was no water in her lungs and but she allegedly drowned there's all kinds of crazy stories like that that people read about them and think what is going on I mean I can't prove there was anyone murdered but it really looks bizarre well
1: there's a lot of money involved there's so much power involved and there's so much loyalty so what you're saying makes sense that'd be so many people to aid in a bit, cover up.
0: Yes. There was a study done in the UK, I think it was two college professors. They wanted to study psychopathy. What professions attracted the most psychopaths. Mm -hmm. And there's this survey that people fill out. It'll it'll state something and then you mark whether you strongly disagree, disagree, agree or strongly agree and it's to measure a person's empathy and so a statement might be if a person is defrauded it's their own fault if you say you strongly agree it means you lack empathy in this regard well and number i think eight on their list was clergy lacking empathy for being psychopathic wow it's a problem. There are a number of criminals that go to work in the church.
1: Okay, because it's, you know, people get left wondering, chicken, egg, chicken, egg, but you're saying they seek these positions out deliberately?
0: Yes, they do. A great example would be Jim Jones. Okay. He's famous for leading hundreds of people to commit suicide drinking the Kool-Aid years ago. He was interviewed, and he explained the reason that he started his church. It later changed its name to um, the People's Temple. He changed it to further his political agenda. He was a Marxist. Right. So yes. it, was, it had nothing to do with religion why he started a church. It was for political activism purposes. And that's yes. somebody on the left. Then there are religious leaders on the right that use religion to advance their politics as well.
1: And I mean, Jim Jones did a lot of positive community work, too, before things went bad, right? So you you can't always tell necessarily because someone's like a nice
0: guy. Yeah, some people hide their evil nature quite well. I I found the list. This is from the European Commission and Europol. So there are 11 characteristics they define as a working definition of organized crime. So this is on Wikipedia on their article on organized crime. It lists the 11 characteristics from the European Commission and Europol. Six have to be satisfied, four are mandatory. And so there, are, it has to involve more than two people, their own appointed tasks. So people have different tasks. The activity has to be over a prolonged or indefinite period of time. They use discipline or control. Mm-hmm. They perpetrate serious criminal offenses. They operate on an international or transnational level. They use violence or other intimidation. They use commercial or business-like structures. They engage in money laundering. They exert influence on politics, media, public administration, judicial authorities, or the economy. And they're motivated by the pursuit of power or profit.
1: That's the end of the list. A
0: lot of those characteristics yep. <laughs> describe some of our televangelists today. Oh,
1: we—I mean, I thought we were just getting started. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You've used some really big words there: crime, money laundering. Ah, uh, you know, are you a hundred percent convinced that that's what's going on in places like Hillsong?
0: I have looked for evidence of money laundering in Hillsong. Um, so far. I've not been able to identify shell companies operating mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. offshore banking locations. There are a number of small countries usually island nations that'll have low income tax rates so that a person will report their profits their income in in one of these countries to avoid um taxation, yeah. That's actually not money laundering. That's offshore banking, but they're often tied together. Actually, what money laundering is, is when you've embezzled money from, say, a church and you want to disguise it so that it looks like it's coming from a legitimate source. Okay. So the term actually, some people think it originated because of a mafia person named Al Capone. Yes. Um, He was based in Chicago, and he would operate cash businesses. And some of his illegal earned money would be deposited into banks through these cash businesses, at which he owned several businesses that did people's laundry.
1: Right. Literally. Okay.
0: So... One term that a lot of people are not familiar with is called self-dealing. Self-dealing is when you operate a nonprofit organization and also operate a for-profit business and they work together. This is not illegal in the United States unless a person excessively profits off the nonprofit organization. And there's tax laws because these organizations are tax exempt. Right. So here's how it would work. You've got a for-profit company that the televangelist uses to publish their books, to produce their CDs, DVDs, and other products. And you sell those to your nonprofit organization. And if, as long as you sell it at a wholesale price to your nonprofit, that's legal. But if you're selling it at retail price to your nonprofit, you're excessively profiting off the nonprofit organization. What you can also do is you can bill consulting fees to your nonprofit from the for-profit company. All kinds of shady techniques the people use. So these are some of the common ways that funds are transferred. And sorry, you said you didn't find
1: any offshore bank accounts for them?
0: Correct. Not in Tax Haven Nations.
1: The the tele-evangelist excesses that we've seen... You know, everybody's really familiar with that. What, what kind of, that, was called that kind of 80s style, what kind of crimes are you seeing now? And, you know, are well, they involving our, our wonderful, wonderful Australian people here? Very sweet
0: Houston oh, family. A lot of people don't know how big the problem is. There yeah. is a journal. It's, I think it's called the, wait, International Bulletin of Missionary Research. That's the name of the journal. Mm-hmm. Every year in January, they publish updated stats on Christianity and other statistics around the world. And there was a person that he was the publisher of, I think it was called the World Christian Encyclopedia, George or David Barrett. This was in the I think in the early 1980s. He got interested in creating a balance sheet for global Christianity. So how much money is going into the church and where's the money going? Those type of things. Well, He ended up concluding that more money was stolen, embezzled by religious leaders than was spent on world.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
0: missions we're talking about billions and billions of dollars annually they have updated stats in that January issue every year stolen
1: like so it's <laughs> mind-blowing so more money is stolen than
0: spent on missions world missions correct yes so what happens is there will be a number of news stories that happens every year. There are people that will be discovered embezzling funds, and they've usually been doing it for a number of years, and then it'll adds up over time to become really large amounts of money. Sometimes they're working in and mega churches. We usually don't hear about the theft. It's if it's in a very small church, but here in 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 the United States and Texas, there is a multi-site, a megachurch known as Fellowship Church. They have multiple campuses. And a woman that worked in their finance department, she was embezzling funds. And she used a number of techniques. They had operated a camp that teenagers and children would go to. And so a parent would pay for their child to go. And she would do like a refund but the refund would be to herself because some people cancel. They said, "Hey, I can't go. The, their child oh, can't man. go on the camp after all, after paying." So, but she would refund herself money, and there was no oversight over her, so she got away with it. The auditors missed these things that mm-hmm. she was doing. That's so, convenient stuff as well. So I'm wondering. I
1: mean, those are really extreme stories. We saw Jim and Tammy Fay, but you know, Brian and Bobby would never be like that, right? So how did Hillsong end up in this group? Because I knew them when they were young and now suddenly they're international and you're using words like crime. So what's going on?
0: Hillsong's founder, Brian Houston, wanted to expand his organization. He wanted to evangelize the world. But what it really meant is he wanted to place churches in affluent big cities okay and let's go where the money trail is let's go where the money is Uh, wall street which is famous in the u.s that's in new york city well let's let's plant a church where the stockbrokers are okay Uh, there's dynamics like that Uh, you've got millions of people in, in new york city so you have a large number of people to market yourself to and I think in a lot of ways, they're operating like a business. They have a marketing budget. Hillsong, I don't think he started with the prosperity gospel. Mm. But I think when he saw how it worked in the United States and how it funded some of these televangelists and, and large megachurches, he realized this was a model that could work for him. And he implemented it in Australia. When he started planting churches in the U.S., he found a rock star in the the name of Carl Lentz. Carl Lentz was a very charismatic individual. Some of these people are motivational speakers. They make people feel good about themselves. Yeah, And that's somewhat the allure to listening to them. And Carl Lentz's um, father... Stephen Lentz is an attorney and years ago in the 1980s, he worked for Pat Robertson, an American televangelist. Pat Robertson stock. Okay. So Virginia beach, that's where Carl Lentz grew up. That is where Pat Robertson's organization, Christian broadcasting network is based. So Uh... what's interesting about that is that Stephen Lentz did legal work for the family channel. And that was a TV channel that Pat Robertson started. So Carl Lentz grew up knowledgeable about broadcasting. He he had the right connections. He really did because of his dad. And his dad would set up religious corporations. Uh, when you want to do business in the U.S. and the United States, typically you'll form a company. Or if you're doing a nonprofit or a church, there are certain processes for being recognized by the government. Now, churches are exempt from a lot of the reporting requirements, but a regular nonprofit organization has to apply to the Internal Revenue Service, and that's the United States Taxing Authority. Mm -hmm. Um, But they'll typically register in the state where they're going to operate. Each state will have a Secretary of State website. And this is where they'll register their corporation. And you can search these websites and sometimes you can download their articles of incorporation or articles of organization. You can find out who their board members are if they have them or a manager if it's the manager that runs the limited liability company. So this is one of the first things I investigate is who's the leadership of a nonprofit or a church or a company. Okay. Um, knowing who leads is really critical to doing an investigation.
1: And when you say lead, I mean, are you talking about the senior pastor or the chairman of the board, or who who leads these places?
0: What do you see? Okay, traditionally, churches in America would be registered as nonprofit corporations, and in a corporation you typically have a board of directors that runs the organization. You will have a president and that would generally be the pastor. You may have a vice president, not necessary, but you can. You'll generally have a secretary for taking board notes and you'll have a treasurer that takes care of the money. Then you'll have other members of the board. These are directors and these people accountable for the organization's finances. Sometimes the board members, they will vote on a person's compensation. For example, here's how to get rich in the United States in a church. The pastor brings in an outside compensation consultant. They will do a study on the church or the ministry, the size of it, how much the revenue is, and then they'll compare it to other organizations. And then they'll suggest we pay this pastor this salary, and it can be a very high salary. And then the pastor will recuse himself. He'll leave the room. He does not vote on his own salary. The other board members approve it, and that is legal. It's done all the time.
1: Okay, thank I- I mean, any company would do that, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the board of directors of church can fire the pastor. They can also hire a new one sometimes. And again, it depends on the articles of incorporation. Some churches use what's called congregational governance. So yes. let me bring up the issue of governance. Different please, people please. can run a, an organization. Sometimes it's the board of directors that makes the key decision. In some churches, they have a congregational vote. I grew up going to a Baptist church. My dad was a minister. In the church that I grew up in, once a month, we would have a church business meeting. And anybody that was a church member, they could attend it. They could actually vote on right. the church budgets, things like that. The finances of the church were available to the public. Any member could go to the church on that Wednesday night and look at the monthly financial statement and know where the money was going it revealed my dad's salary. Okay. Uh, And it made my dad uncomfortable, everybody knowing what he he would earn. But the church was transparent. That's it. And that's really important if you want to hold people accountable. And then,
1: I mean, those days are long since gone (laughs) in Hillsong. And I don't just as an aside, I don't know if you know, but uh, Brian and his Father Frank actually dismantled the Assemblies of God in Australia and turned them into autonomous enterprises because they, you know, Frank very much resisted the idea of being hired and fired and being kept poor and accountable. So, but he was quite explicit about that. So when they got here, they changed the entire structure to suit themselves Take me to the other method of governance, which is what these guys did via Daddy
0: Lens, right? In twenty ten, Hillsong registered a number of nonprofit organizations. Some were nonprofit corporations that would have a board of directors. Okay. Some of them were limited liability companies. And so I'm gonna start with the nonprofit corporations. There was a Hillsong Ministries USA. And and when you read the Articles of Incorporation, it says that the corporation will have no members. And for a lot of people, those words are really confusing. A church having no members, what does that mean? Well, in this context, it means the people that attend the church, they do not have voting rights. Only the board of directors will have voting rights. Right. So... If you have five people on a board, you have five people that have voting rights. So if the pastor's on the board, other people can outvote him if they have a disagreement. But if you have a limited liability company, the way those work is it'll specify a manager or managers to run the organization. And usually this is going to be one or two managers. It can be more than that, but then usually they'll just specify one or two people. Well, if it's just one person, who's going to hold that manager accountable? Yeah. No one. But Hillsong created a number of these limited liability companies. One of them is Hillsong NYC LLC. That's the legal name of the limited liability company. The limited liability companies, they will have usually have language in their articles of organization that specify who will have liability coverage in the company. Okay. And it'll, it may say that only employees, people that work for the company will have liability protection. Then there will usually be clauses like if the person commits certain crimes that they will not be indemnified.
1: So if like hypothetically someone launched a class action or a lawsuit against one of these organizations, the board aren't personally going to lose their houses, who will pay?
0: So when an organization sued, usually the litigant will sue the organization and the people involved. Okay. So... By doing a limited liability company, you're limiting the number of people that can be sued in a lawsuit through the organization, sued outside the organization.
1: You said you think it is deliberate, though, that they've chosen?
0: Yes, it's very deliberate that they've chosen limited liability companies. Um, Stephen Lentz, Carl Lentz's father, he wrote a book, The Business of Church. Oh, Wow. And in that book, he described why people should, a, a pastor should use a limited liability company for his church. One of the most popular methods of using these companies is as property holding companies.
1: Okay, well, that seems like a reasonable place to stop and think and process and maybe listen again to to get your head around it all we'll be back tomorrow for another episode same time there's loads more information and you're just going to keep loving it the organization is trinityfi.org so that's trinity one word trinity f-i-f for 40 minutes i for i can't remember.org keep on leaving hillsong We'll be back tomorrow, talk then.